You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down to earth. Spanning the continent to bring you the truth about cannabis and marijuana law reform. I smoke pot and I like it a lot. The Russ Belleville Show. The voice of the marijuana nation. It's like marijuana ought to be legalized. Good people smoke marijuana. Now, here's your host, Radical Russ Belleville. Haha, <laughs> 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 just kidding. Good day, tokers and tokettes and non-toking lovers of liberty. It is thir- Friday, <laughs> February 24th, 2017, and it's got to be 420 somewhere in the world. It's episode 895, and coming up on today's show, our guest is addiction specialist Joe Schrank, who's going to be talking about cannabis-assisted sobriety. In our cannabis focus today, I hate to say I told you so, but I'm going to give you more reactions off of Sean Spicer's comments from yesterday. In our drug war data mining, we take a look at how Tennessee is attacking the costs of marijuana sentencing, and in the radical rant, why drug testing for unemployment and welfare benefits is wrong. Then stay tuned live. For hour two, I'll tell you how the Montana GOP is suppressing voting to prevent legalization. But first, let's get to the cannabis headline news. Covering the latest headlines in consumer cannabis, medical marijuana, and industrial hemp. Now your marijuana headlines in four minutes and 20 seconds. This is Cannabis News. This is your cannabis headline news for Friday, February 24th, 2017. The cannabis industry was rattled Thursday after White House Press Secretary Sean Spicer said he expects the Department of Justice to increase enforcement of federal laws prohibiting recreational pot, even in states where it's already legal. Quote, to have Mr. Spicer say in one sentence that they're a state's rights administration and in the very next sentence say they're going to crack down, it just defies logic, end quote, said Robert Capecci, director of federal policies for the Marijuana Policy Project. The Drug Policy Alliance noted that eliminating part of the legal cannabis market would mean, quote, wiping out tax-paying jobs and eliminating billions of dollars worth of taxes. And the National Cannabis Industry Association's Aaron Smith said a crackdown on legal pot would represent a rejection of the values of economic growth, limited government, and respect for federalism that Republicans claim to embrace, end quote. Lieutenant Governor Gavin Newsom, a leading supporter of Proposition 64, sent a letter to President Trump on Friday urging him not to carry through with threats to launch federal enforcement efforts against recreational marijuana firms that will be legalized in California. The letter, which was copied to Attorney General Jeff Sessions, came a day after White House Press Secretary Son Spicer told reporters, quote, I do believe that you'll see greater enforcement, end quote, against recreational use marijuana. Newsom's letter attempts to persuade the president that a regulated market for adult-use marijuana is preferable to what has existed in the past. Officials in Washington state, where recreational marijuana is legal, vow to fight any federal crackdown on the nascent industry after White House spokesman Sean Spicer said they should expect to see stepped-up enforcement of anti-pot laws. Bob Ferguson, attorney general in Washington state, which joined Colorado in 2012 as the first states to legalize recreational use of marijuana, said he requested a meeting last week with Attorney General Jeff Sessions about his approach to legal regulated marijuana, saying, quote, 
We will resist any efforts to thwart the will of the voters in Washington, end quote, Ferguson said Thursday. A renewed focus on recreational marijuana in states that have legalized pot would present a departure from the Trump administration's statements in favor of states' rights. A day earlier, the administration announced that the issue of transgender student bathroom access was best left to states and local communities to decide. Nevada still plans to launch recreational marijuana sales in July, despite warnings this week of a federal crackdown by the administration of President Donald Trump, state officials said Friday. White House spokesman Sean Spicer said Thursday that the United States Justice Department will step up enforcement of federal laws prohibiting recreational, not medical, marijuana. No immediate action accompanied the statement, which came in response to a reporter's question. That has not prompted the Nevada agency tasked with crafting rules governing recreational marijuana sales to change its timeline for ensuring dispensaries can open this summer, said agency spokeswoman Stephanie Klapstein. Denver city officials have brought together a disparate group to advise them on how to implement the city's first-of-its-kind social marijuana use permit program. Neighborhood advocates and others wary of open marijuana consumption pressed during a two-hour discussion Wednesday for concrete restrictions on a number of fronts for Initiative 300 authorized consumption areas. Meanwhile, a lawsuit filed February 3rd challenges a new Colorado Liquor Enforcement Division rule that bars liquor licensees from allowing the consumption of marijuana on their premises, effectively keeping them from participating in Denver's new permit program. State lawmakers have filed a bill that would legalize marijuana for medical use in North Carolina, a perennial proposal that has failed to gain traction in the past. Longtime medical marijuana advocate Representative Kelly Alexander of Charlotte filed the bill Wednesday with support from 10 fellow Democrats, including Charlotte Representative Rodney Moore and several Triangle representatives. Similar bills have a history of lacking support from Republicans who now control both the House and the Senate. But Moore said he and Alexander will continue to introduce the legislation because the drug is shown promise as a therapy for cancer patients and people suffering from epilepsy. This has been your Cannabis Headline News for Friday, February 24th, 2017. I'm Russ Belville. In the interest of fair and balanced journalism, the Russ Belville Show presents the anti-drug public service announcement of the day. Sometimes you can hear lung cancer in smokers before you see it. There's a whistling noise. It's the air bracing around the lung cancer, almost completely blocking an airway. By the time most lung cancers are discovered, it's already too late to operate. Authorised by the New South Wales Government, Sydney. This has been the Russ Belleville Show's anti-drug public service announcement of the day, exclusively on RadicalRuss.com. Marijuana is not addictive, but listening to the Russ Belleville Show is... Warning. It's taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. At least they pay me to say that. Uh-oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> a public service message from the Russ Belleville Show.
The world of cannabis is evolving at a frenetic pace. The Russ Belleville Show gets behind the headlines to take a deeper look at breaking news in our Cannabis Focus. Today in the Cannabis Focus, we're going to be uh, taking a good look at uh, what we heard from the... Uh, the special, the uh, Sean Spicer comments yesterday when it came to marijuana legalization and the possibility of the federal government moving forward with uh, plans to attack recreational marijuana. And I hate to have to say I told you so, but um, I told you so. <laughs> they, uh, the recent uh, move by this federal government is something that I've been predicting for some time. And yesterday when Sean Spicer got up and said, quote, there is a big difference between medical and recreational marijuana. There is still a federal law that we need abide by when it comes to recreational marijuana. Spicer indicated that the president, quote, understands the pain and suffering that many people go through, end quote, and is sympathetic to medical marijuana. However, quote, that's very different than the recreational use, which is something the Department of Justice, I think, will be looking further into, end quote. Now, Spicer did recognize the power of the Rohrabacher Amendment passed by Congress that prevents the Justice Department from prosecuting the states over medical marijuana. This is a sliver of hope for reformers that if Congress can pass H.R. 975, the Respect States Marijuana Laws Act of 2017, that would tie Sessions' hands regarding recreational marijuana, too. So, all it needs is for Oregon's lone Republican representative, Greg Walden, to bring it up for a hearing in the Energy and Commerce Committee that he chairs, where the bill has been referred. <clears throat> this would be the same Walden who supported the Keep Hands Off Medical Marijuana Rohrabacher Amendment of 2015, but who voted against the McClintock Amendment of 2015, that was keep hands off recreational marijuana. Now, if by some miracle Walden calls a vote on H.R. 975, and by some miracle the GOP majority in that committee passes it, then it heads to the Judiciary Committee. Now, the Judiciary Committee is chaired by a, a Virginia Republican named uh, Bob Goodlatte, or I don't know if it's Goodlatte or Goodlatte. <laughs> it looks like latte when you look at the way it's spelled. And uh, Representative uh, Goodlatte has been represented, has been uh, given zero and lower votes or, or uh, ratings by normal when he has, um, when his voting record on marijuana has been evaluated. And it wasn't too long ago that Representative Goodlatte was saying this to the voters. If I could ask you about criminal law, changing gears again, um, as you no doubt know, the, the subject of marijuana has been a very controversial one in your committee. It keeps coming up in a variety of... of uh... Oh, my apologies for that breaking out like that. Let's restart that again for you. My apologies, like I say. See if we can make that. If I could ask you about criminal law, changing gears again, um, as you no doubt know, the, the subject of marijuana has been a very controversial one in your committee. It keeps coming up in a variety of, of, uh, of settings, including this week with the attorney general. And I'm just curious about your personal views on this subject, not necessarily as the chairman of the committee, but your personal views. Well, do, you, do you believe marijuana should be a Schedule One substance that's classified in the same way as drugs uh, such as LSD or, uh, or heroin? I think marijuana is a dangerous substance uh, that uh, has many more drawbacks than uh, uh, benefits that some people derive from it. Uh, the Food and Drug Administration, uh, notwithstanding uh, 
uh, some people's belief that this is uh, a uh, uh, an appropriate product to be used for medical purposes has never found uh, uh, any use for for marijuana that uh, was better than uh, already approved uh, prescription drugs to deal with various things that sometimes uh, marijuana is used for. Uh, the uh, evidence with, regarding the effect that it has, particularly on uh, uh, young people, uh, is uh, concerning, and uh, I, it is not my purpose uh, to change the law with regard to marijuana. We are, uh, as you know, uh, engaged in uh, examining all of our criminal laws in what we call the Overcriminalization Task Force, and that includes looking at uh, sentencing guidelines, and it includes looking at uh, a wide array of other things that relate to prison overcrowding and so on. But I have not signed off on the idea that the best way to deal with those issues uh, would be to change the, uh, the categorization of marijuana. Mm -hmm. So that's Representative Goodlatte uh, refusing to even uh, get sign on to the idea of rescheduling marijuana for medical purposes, much less that uh, we're going to get him uh, to give us any relief when it comes to recreational marijuana. Uh, absolutely does not look like uh, that is going to be very likely. Now, uh, Rep Representative Goodlatte, he uh, is in charge of that next committee that would uh, have to uh, get that bill, the uh, Respect States Marijuana Laws Act, uh, through the House. So we get it through two hostile committee chairmen in the House, then we'd have to get it to the floor of the House to be voted on by the GOP majority in Congress, and then it would have to go over to the Senate for another couple of likely hostile committees, and then a floor vote by the GOP majority Senate, and then on to the desk of the President, Donald Trump, who, of course, famously said, And the crime, and the gangs, and the drugs, this American carnage stops right now. So we'd have to make it past a possible veto uh, from him, and uh, then our recreational marijuana laws uh, would be safe uh, from the man who thinks that uh, good people don't smoke marijuana, the Attorney General, Jeff Sessions. So... <sighs> Forgive me if I'm not holding my breath uh, in anticipation. And, and by the way, what was it that Sean Spicer was saying again? You said you will see greater enforcement of it. I, I would refer you to the Department you of Justice. Said, no, no, I, I know, I know what I, 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 I think, and that's what I said. But, but I think the Department of Justice is the lead on that. Uh, it is something that you should follow up with them. But I believe that they are they are going to continue to enforce the laws in the books with respect to uh, recreational marijuana. So, again, I hate to tell you, say I told you so, but I told you so. Quote, so, yeah, you could cast a feel-good vote for Johnson or Stein because they agree with you on legalizing marijuana, but to what end? They'll have zero power over legalization policy, and you'll be doing nothing to stop the candidate who would dismantle legalization, Donald Trump. End quote. Or from another article I wrote, quote, while Donald Trump has recently said he's fine with state-level legalization and medical marijuana, he's also recently said, quote, in this race for the White House, I am the law and order candidate, end quote. Or from this other article I wrote, quote, the Republican nominee is probably the worst of the four candidates on this issue, end quote. Or from another article I wrote, quote, but Trump is for states' rights, right? Sure he is. 
At least as much as you can say Donald Trump has a political philosophy. However, I can imagine a whole bunch of federal interference that would still allow states their right to legalize weed. End quote. Or from this article, quote, With the election of Donald Trump as president, it seems clearer each day that the cannabis industry and the marijuana movement may be facing some tough times ahead. End quote. Or this one, quote, I'll be thrilled to be wrong if the status quo continues, the marijuana industry grows, and nobody gets raided or jailed, but I have always believed this isn't a war on drugs, this is a war on culture, and the other side of that culture war is in complete control. Or this article, quote, I think the man who said, quote, I believe the Department of Justice needs to be clear, I think it's really serious, end quote, back in April, is more believable than the same man polishing his resume for a job promotion. The confirmation of Jeff Sessions as Attorney General will be a nightmare for the marijuana industry, end quote. So that's uh, an article I've got up on High Times right now. It's my regular Friday High Times Radical Rant column. If you'd like to check that out, pass it on to others and check the links to all of those uh, predictive articles that I have written going all the way back to June, where I told people if we didn't do everything we could to stop Donald Trump by voting for Hillary Clinton, we would probably face a rollback in recreational marijuana. Again, don't take it from me. Take it from Sean Spicer. Thanks, Sean. Roby Brock with Talk Business and Politics here in Arkansas, the home of the rowdiest town halls in the nation. Um, I have a question on uh, medical marijuana. Our state, our state voters passed a medical marijuana amendment in November. Uh, now we're in conflict with federal law, as many other states are. Uh, the Obama administration uh, kind of chose not to strictly enforce those federal marijuana laws. My question to you is with um, Jeff Sessions over at the Department of Justice as, as AG, what's going to be the Trump administration's position on uh, marijuana legalization where it's in a state federal conflict like this? Thanks, Roby. Uh, there, there's two distinct issues here medical marijuana and recreational marijuana. Um, I think medical marijuana, I've said before that the president um, understands the pain and suffering that many people go through who are facing especially terminal diseases and the comfort that some of these drugs, including medical marijuana, can bring to them. Um, and that's one that Congress, through a rider in 2011, looking for a little help, uh, I think put an appropriations bill saying the Department of Justice um, wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't be funded to go after those folks. Uh, there's a big difference between that and recreational marijuana. And I think that when you see uh, something like the opioid addiction crisis um, blossoming in so many states around this country, the last thing that we should be doing is encouraging people. There is still a federal law uh, that we need to abide by in, in terms of uh, the medical, when it comes to recreational marijuana and other drugs of that nature. So I think there's a big difference between medical marijuana, which states have a, um, the states where it's allowed in accordance with the appropriations rider, have set forth a process to administer and, and, um, and regulate that usage versus recreational marijuana. That's a very, very different subject. And I think Shannon, 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 Glenn, this isn't a TV what program. We're gonna, Shannon, I, okay, you don't get to just yell out questions. We're going to raise our hand like big boys and girls because it's not your job to just yell out questions. Shannon, please go. Okay. Uh, well, first on the manufacturing summit, uh, was the AFL-CIO invited? And then, yeah, I did want to follow up on this medical marijuana yeah. question. So is the federal government then going to take some sort of action um, around this recreational marijuana in some of these states? 
Well, I think that's a question for the Department of Justice. I do believe that you'll see greater enforcement of it. Um, because, again, there's a big difference between You're really clouding the, the energy in this room right now. All right, that sound means that it's time for us to take our new mandated safety briefing. It's 20 after the hour. That means it's 420 in Denver, Colorado, and the rest of the mountain time zone. So let's get to it. Smoke them if you got them. When we come back, we'll be talking some drug war data mining. A new bill in Tennessee fighting back against the cost of marijuana sentencing. You know Herb Thrasher from the Herb Thrasher Flower Hour. Now get ready for Herb Age Designs for the proud cannabis consumer. Herb Age Designs, lifestyle gear for the 420 friendly. Herb Age Designs, we've got frisbee golf discs and durable hemp gear. Herb Age Designs, we've got shot glasses, drinking glasses, coffee mugs, and beer cozies. Check us out on Facebook and online at HerbAgeDesigns.com. And follow Herb Age and Herb Thrasher on Twitter. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show. We have four times the incarceration rate on a percentage basis of any country in the world. In second place is New Zealand. You can find Radical Russ online everywhere. Warning. It's taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. <coughs> or at least they... Amy to say that. Hey, this is great, man. A public service message from the Russ Belleville Show. Promoting the end of adult cannabis prohibition is easy because we have facts, science, reason, compassion, evidence, truth, and logic on our side. It's even easier when researchers catalog it all for us. Learn how to gather the facts on marijuana use, arrests, seizures, rehabs, drug tests, and more on this edition of Drug War Data Mining. Today in the Data Mines, we take a look at a new bill that is being proposed in the state of Tennessee that would save $800,000 a year in recurring costs According to a recent fiscal note, the bill is sponsored by Representative Antonio Parkinson. He's a Democrat from Memphis. And all it does is changes the amount of marijuana that a person could possess without being charged with intent to sell or intent to deliver. Uh, the trafficking charges, right, that, that go beyond simple possession. All they want to do is make it so that it takes an ounce to trigger an intent to sell. Rather than the current law, a half an ounce, which triggers intent to sell. This isn't legalizing anything. It's not decriminalizing anything. It's not really depenalizing anything so much as the range of a half ounce to an ounce is now going to be considered personal possession and not be considered an amount that automatically means that you're trying to traffic in marijuana. According to the Department of Corrections in the state of Tennessee, there is an average of 267 admissions into the correctional system each year for this intent to sell, which fall in that half ounce to one ounce range. 267 people a year trafficking a half ounce to an ounce. When, when really, folks, that usually just means possession. The proposed legislation would cut about 27 felony cases 
per year. This is according to the fiscal note that accompanies the bill. And cutting those 27 felony cases would save $800,000 a year in cost. These are the kind of changes that activists ought to be looking at throughout the United States, especially in these states that are more strict on their marijuana policies and unlikely to pass major reforms. Simply changing an amount in a statute can have a huge difference, as that fiscal note points out. This can be done all over the country. Right now, according to a 2010 report that was issued by the American Civil Liberties Union called The War on Marijuana in Black and White, says that marijuana possession laws in America in 2010, now keep in mind, this had been before Colorado, Washington uh, had passed legalization, before California passed decrim, before Oregon, Alaska, and Washington, D.C. had passed legalization. So these figures might not be the same anymore. But back in 2010, before legalization, states were spending $3.6 billion enforcing marijuana laws just for possession. $3.6 billion. Now that's an estimate. Other people estimating this have put it as high as $6 billion or as low as $1.2 billion. Still, we're still talking about a lot of money. And that's just the cost of enforcing possession. The Tennessee bill we told you about is about trafficking, possession with intent to sell, possession with intent to deliver, and that ACLU report doesn't even begin to address what the costs are there. And of course, legalizing marijuana economically helps in the other direction, not just by removing some of these costs of recurring probation and parole and, and the court costs and the drug testing and so forth. But of course, the legalization of marijuana creates an entirely new economy. Well, does it create a new economy? It brings an existing co economy above ground and presents it to regulation and controls and tax revenues. According to Marijuana Policy Project, the Rand Corporation did an economic report on uh, the uh, state of Colorado passing its legalization. And this is what they found. In 2015, Colorado had a 30% increase in tourism and a 14% increase in spending after they legalized marijuana. Their ski resorts had record-breaking seasons. Their tourism went through the roof. Their hotel room occupancy was at 76%. And out-of-state visitors, visitors made up 44.5% of retail marijuana sales. Tourists' retail spending was 90% of the sales in mountain communities in Colorado, these small communities that could use the economic boost. Colorado from 2013 to 2014 had the largest drop in unemployment in the country. And other reports have put there to be up to 18,000 full-time equivalency jobs that have been created by the marijuana industry in the state of Colorado. They continue to enjoy very low unemployment rates, 3.4% in 2016, September of 2016, among the lowest rates in the country. Colorado's home prices saw the largest increase of any state, rising by 9.8%, as much as 11% in Denver, Colorado. Other increases for home sales prices occurred in Portland, Oregon, and Seattle, Washington, both places that have legalized marijuana. 
The retail vacancy rate fell to 5.6%, and construction spending is now a record at $16.7 billion in 2016 to meet new housing demands. Colorado generated over $200 million in marijuana tax revenue between 2015 and 2016 now, and that number continues to increase. The universities are continuing to thrive. International student enrollment is up at the University of Colorado by about 20%. College graduate graduation hasn't been affected by the legalization of marijuana. The rates are still comparable to what they were before. In every way, legalization of marijuana improves the economy by reducing the criminal justice costs involved, by creating jobs, and by creating tax revenue that helps the state. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll have our guest on the line, addiction specialist Joe Schrank, talking about cannabis-assisted sobriety. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Hey everybody, it's Radical Russ here from 420 Radio. Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo, Fort Worth's most female-friendly, clean, sterile, awesome tattoo shop. Thomas and his crew are true artists who can design you a custom piece or use a design you bring in. Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo also offers all styles of tattooing as well as piercings and all-around fun. In the DFW area, stop by Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo and tell them Radical Russ sent you. Trust me, it'll feel awesome. This is the Russ Belleville Show. Annoying Kevin Sabat since 2012. Despite marijuana's federal Schedule 1 status, academics continue to discover the truth, counter the propaganda, and unlock more benefits within humanity's most beneficial plant. Join us now as we speak with the pioneering researchers in cannabis in this edition of Sinsamia Science. All right, welcome back, everybody. 30 after the hour, and today in Cincinnati Science, we've got a guest joining us to discuss the issue of drug dependence. And this is something that uh, is is very important uh, to me in my personal history. Uh, my father was a drug and alcohol counselor for years and years and years, and it's a subject I know quite a bit about. And our guest is Joe Schrank joining us. Hello, Joe. Welcome to the show. Hey, Russ. How are you? Can you hear me okay? I, I hear you just fine. And you thanks, do? Okay, good. Thanks for joining us here on the show. And uh, let's get a better introduction for you. Tell people your background and what this uh, subject is that you want to tell us about. Well, I'm a clinical social worker. I've worked in addictions and recovery for many years. I do interventions and crisis management, a uh, bunch of different things. I write for various publications about the topic. But my new project is a treatment center in Los Angeles, and it's called High Sobriety. And we're, we include cannabis in part of the protocols, and we're looking at helping people in harm reduction rather than forcing abstinence on them if they're not interested in that. Um, and it's uh, received a bunch of different ways, a lot of hostility in, in, from many people, actually. I, I, I know that the, uh, uh, the 12-step community is very strong on this idea of, of clean and sober, and that including all sorts of mind-altering substances except cigarettes, of course, but <laughs> pretty much they are frowning on the idea of people using cannabis when they're trying to maintain sobriety. Tell folks why you think that might be a bad idea. Well, I think it's a bad idea because I think that people arrive at different decisions uh, at their own pace. 
You know, I think that if, if somebody is, is actively injecting heroin and they can replace that with cannabis, that that's huge. That's a huge, huge victory. Um, you know, and the same with alcohol. We, we, we look the other way. Alcohol kills 88,000 people a year. Uh, and if, if 10% of those people who are in peril of actually losing their life switched to cannabis or were able to maintain in cannabis, it's... Uh, we had our system kick out for just a second there. I hope everyone was still able to hear you. But uh, we are speaking with addiction specialist Joe Schrank from Los Angeles's High Sobriety Clinic. And the idea here being that it's a harm reduction measure, that if, if someone's got a problem with alcohol or heroin and using marijuana might uh, help them avoid that, it's something we should be we should be pursuing. Without question, Russ. You know, look, there are... Um... You know, the opiate maintenance and antagonist therapies, Suboxone or Subutex or one of those, uh, you know, a lot of those people probably could do okay on cannabis. We certainly know that it helps the detox process. So in other words, we see a lot of people run off into the night after when you're trying to detox them from their drug of choice. If it's an opiate or if it's alcohol or even um, amphetamine and and cannabis can really, really help with that. Uh, and, and if people are are wanting to replace their drug of choice with cannabis. That's something we're fully going to support because there's no lethal dose and cannabis is, um, can in fact help with certain conditions. I believe one of them is with opiate dependence, alcohol dependence, all those kinds of things. My argument with 12-step people is that I promise them cigarettes will kill more people in 12-step recovery than cannabis ever will. Um, it, absolutely. I mean, most of them, I mean, the, the rates of emphysema and lung cancer among people who are, who are in AA is huge. Um, and it's a hard thing. I get it because I am a 12-stepper. I mean, I'm, I'm sober in AA for 20 years. You know, I don't use cannabis, but if I have arthritis in 10 years, I'll certainly consider it. You know, I mean, I'm certainly going to consider it before I would do uh, Vicodin or, or, you know, something else like that. So, so I think that it's something that can be very beneficial and the recovery community should not be adversarial with it. We should be friends with it and we should see how it's going to help people. And maybe some people will take the step further into total abstinence and maybe they won't. And that's actually not a decision for AA. That's a decision for an individual. Well, I'm really glad to hear you saying that. And, uh, we're, Checking out our chat room as well. We're live here on RadicalRust.com. A lot of people uh, paying attention and asking a lot of questions. And one question that comes up is about the idea of marijuana dependence itself. Obviously, high uh -huh. sobriety would be something, you know, that accepts cannabis use for people to harm reduce for, say, uh, heroin. But what about the claim of people being dependent on cannabis itself? Well then we're probably not the right place to treat cannabis dependence if it's problematic. You know, I think that we look at things in, in the wrong way. Addiction is very different than dependence. Um, a dependence on something is, look, uh, yeah, uh, diabetics are dependent on insulin. It doesn't mean their goal is to get rid of it. Um, I am dependent on caffeine. I can't, I can't, I can't speak in the morning before. <laughs> I mean, literally, I literally cannot form a sentence until I've had, you know, a pretty strong cup of coffee. And so I think that the idea of addiction and dependence needs to really be separated out. You know, in my mind, and, and I'm very steeped in this world for many years as a clinical social worker, I've been in the trenches with drug use and drug addiction for many years. And so I see a lot of death and destruction. So it's a big victory to me if a young guy 
25 years old, is able to kick something that could potentially kill him, whether it's alcohol, cocaine, pharmaceuticals, street heroin, opiate abuse, all of those things and replace it with cannabis. That's a massive, massive victory in my mind. So the idea of you're switching from one drug to another, the answer is, yeah, that's right. You are. However, you know, um, you're not going to drop dead from from cannabis use. Um, and one of the interesting things about this is we've seen a lot of older people, which I wasn't expecting. So we've seen a lot of chronic alcoholics with liver damage or they have they're now on medications where they can't drink any longer, whether it's a control medication for blood pressure or whatever it is. And they're not interested in sobriety in the traditional terms. They're not interested in spending their life in church basements drinking bad coffee and, you know, and all the sort of cultural things that we do as 12-step people. Um, and so cannabis is a really, really great option for them. And it's very helpful for people who have had – look, we have, we've had people who are 50-year scotch drinkers. You know, the idea of trying to force them into some kind of life, it's, it's A, not realistic, and in my view, it's without compassion. So, you know, there are others that I've uh, spoken to on this issue who discuss not just uh, the use of cannabis uh, as a part of a sober lifestyle, so to speak, but also the idea that uh, all out sobriety may not necessarily be the right goal, that maybe for some people there is a moderated position they can get to with their use of alcohol or even other drugs that they could possibly uh, survive under. Uh, what do you think of that uh, opinion? And is that something that you would uh, uh, follow up and endorse? You know, look, there are 20 million people. Uh, uh, SAMHSA, which is the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Agency, says there's 20 million Americans in need of treatment. There can't be one answer for all of those people. Their abstinence can't be the only solution for all of those people. Humans are just too diverse. Our, our individual brains, our culture, our family, everything that comes in to make us and, you know, the construct of our personalities. So the idea of everybody has to be totally absent with the same plan is absurd. There are people who probably would be able to moderate their drinking. Um, you know, my thing as you know, when people come under my care or supervision or they come into treatment with us, our goal is to eliminate the possibility of death. That's the first and foremost goal. If people so and cannabis does that, if somebody tells me, well, I'm going to drink fewer martinis, <laughs> you know, my thing is, are OK, I mean, it's your life, you know, that kind of a thing. If somebody says to me, I'm good, I I don't really want to drink anymore. I come home, I smoke my joint, I blunt or my uh, vape or my edible or whatever it is, however they're, and, and I no longer drink alcohol. That's a tremendous relief and a tremendous leap of progress for people. So I would not recommend trying to control one's drug of choice as much as I would uh, recommend replacing with cannabis. Um, but it, yeah, but again, I mean, it's up to the individual. I mean, look, you know, I have teenage boys. I, have all kinds of things that I want them to do, but that doesn't mean they're going to do them. You know, we, we just, you know, the idea that, um, you know, well, abstinence is the best thing. Yeah, I guess, but I, I'm starting to believe that abstinence only drug education is about as effective as abstinence only sex education. Very good point. All right. We're speaking with Joe Schrank from the uh, high sobriety clinic in Los Angeles, discussing the idea of cannabis assisted sobriety and, uh, in this discussion, we've kind of focused on the idea of cannabis as a replacement drug for a drug that another more harmful drug someone's using recreationally. But a lot of uh, research is starting to uncover that cannabis may actually be 
a medicine to overcome addiction, to overcome withdrawal. Uh, what do you what do you make of that research, and have you seen that to be true in your practice? You know, I have seen that to be true in my practice. I mean, I think that anecdotally we can support that position. There's a lot of new research that's coming out uh, with neurological, and I don't quite understand the whole opioid, um, cannabinoid. You know, I don't quite understand the science of it. But but the basic gist of it is that people can be helped with withdrawal, with craving, with a lot of things that will lead them back to a dangerous behavior or the drug um, with a lethal dose. Again, I, I mean, I and I'm sure I'm preaching to the choir here, but as long as it's a schedule one drug, we can't tell people empirically what it will or won't do because there can't be clinical trials as long as the government says that there's no medicinal value, which we know is not true. There is medicinal value. I see the medicinal value every day. And I see the cultural value. I see a lot of different things. Um, and so to, to just kind of lump cannabis in with heroin and cocaine and other things like that is it's just wrong. It's absolutely wrong. And so I wish, you know, and I get that question a lot. Well, what does it do? I wish I could say, you know, the empiricist in me wants to say this is what it's going to do. But we really can't do that at this point. Yeah, very good point. We need to fight to get that uh, rescheduling or descheduling to happen so the science can actually take place. Joe, we're just about out of time, but I want to make sure people that want to get more information on this revolutionary new method or new way of thinking in addiction to uh, be able to contact you to get more info. So you got any websites, Facebook, phone numbers you want to give out? We got all of it. HighSobrietyTreatment.com is the website. Um, and my, I'm just Joe at High Sobriety Treatment. I answer all emails. I'm very responsive. Not looking for everybody to agree with me. So if anybody has any, any dissenting opinions, I got an email from Kevin Sabet. Oh, good. So, um, oh yeah, no, it was, it, it was delightful. Um, uh, anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm. I, look, America needs to have this debate. We need to think, rethink addiction. And so, I'm all for it. If people want to tell me this is a crazy idea, by all means, let's have that conversation. Joe Schrank from High Sobriety. Check him out, highsobrietytreatment.com for more information. Thanks so much for joining us and uh, giving us a look at this uh, new way of thinking. It's uh, very, very uh, good news for our side. Okay. Thanks, Russ. All right. Stay tuned, folks. And yep, uh, when care. we come back, we will have more for you. My Radical Rant is coming up on why it is wrong to use drug testing to deny unemployment and welfare benefits. You're listening to The Russ Belville Show on RadicalRust.com. We'll be back right after these messages. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. The Russ Belleville Show is proudly sponsored by the Marijuana Business Association. The MJBA, called by NBC News the Cannabis Chamber of Commerce, is the fastest-growing business association in the fastest-growing industry in America. I've been working with the MJBA for years, and I personally invite you to join the MJBA. MJBA also publishes the popular MJ Headline News on Facebook and the MJNewsNetwork.com and Marijuana Channel 1 on YouTube. Visit MJBA.net for more details. The Russ Belleville Show reminds you to never smoke and drive impaired. Hang out for a while share warning hits taken on this show are larger than they appear 
Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. <coughs> or at least they pay me to say that. Where'd you learn that, Cheech? Drug school. A public service message from the Russ Belleville Show. Total war against public enemy public number one. Ten number one. federal criminal penalties for the one ounce of marijuana. Marijuana is probably the most dangerous drug. Just say no. Legalization no. is just another word for surrender. Experimented with marijuana. This is not medicine. This is a Cheech and Chong Cheech show. And Chong Curse people do use less drugs. I am that, that was the point. I think it would be a mistake to leave my negative reports coming out of Colorado. Good people don't smoke marijuana. Congress is moving forward on a resolution to allow states to expand the use of drug testing for unemployment insurance recipients. It's the latest advance in the government's creeping intrusion into more citizens' privacy, justified by war on drugs hysteria with little to no grounding in real-world problems and solutions. Now notice, I did not say unemployment benefits. Your unemployment insurance is not a handout from the government. That unemployment check is not something you're taking from other hardworking Americans. As the National Employment Law Project puts it, quote, Unemployment insurance is a state-federal program created by the Social Security Act of 1935. Workers who are involuntary un involuntarily unemployed qualify for insurance that is paid from state UI trust funds that are funded by taxes on employee wages. To be eligible for unemployment insurance under any state UI law, involuntarily unemployed workers must have earned sufficient wages in their recent work history, the base period, and be able to work, available for work, and actively seeking work. Since the advent of employee drug testing in the 1980s, no state had implemented a requirement that claimants must pass a drug test in order to qualify for unemployment insurance. End quote. In other words, the government forced you to put some of your wages into a piggy bank in case you lose your job. Now, it wants you to pass a piss test to get your own money back. As the National Employment Law Project explained, you got the money back out of your piggy bank when you lost your job, just as the government promised, since 1935. For 77 years, the government kept its promise. Then, in 2012, Congress passed and President Obama signed the Middle Class Tax Relief and Job Creation Act. It amended the Social Security Act of 1935 so that when middle-class folks lost their jobs and went to the piggy bank for relief, they had to pass a piss test if they'd been fired over a drug charge or could only work in occupations that piss test. <clears throat> now, defining which class of workers could be cheated out of their unemployment insurance resulted in a proposed rule by the Obama administration's Department of Labor in 2014 which was finalized in August of last year. It defined those occupations as work where piss testing is required by law or requires being armed, driving, piloting, controlling air traffic, and, conduct and conducting trains. It also clarified that states couldn't charge the worker for the cost of the piss test they used to justify stealing his unemployment. Well, folks, the House just voted to rescind that rule. And it is expected that some version 
of the Ready to Work Act of 2016 will be resubmitted to the 115th Congress. In addition to terminating for good the Obama-era's narrow definition of workers whose money can be stolen over failed piss tests, it would amend the Social Security Act so that the occupations that qualify for unemployment theft are, quote, determined by the states, end quote. When President Obama's Labor Department proposed the rule, the House members, Republicans, who argued against it, wailed that it restricted the states from robbing the largest possible group of unemployed workers. The rule eliminates, quote, the possibility that states could use drug screening and testing for the occupations beyond those that are required by law to conduct drug testing, end quote, they wrote, seeking to steal from all workers who'd seek jobs with firms, quote, committed to having a drug-free workplace, end quote. Well, since the Drug-Free Workplace Act of 1988 mandates that any employer can't receive any federal contacts or grants unless it, quote, agrees to provide a drug-free workplace, end quote, that would significantly expand who could be piss-tested. This is particularly vexing as the Drug-Free Workplace Act doesn't mandate piss-testing as a requirement of the so-called drug-free workplace. The unemployment thieves also wrote that President Obama's rule, quote, would inappropriately limit drug screening and testing by interfering with states that already have enacted laws that permit and encourage employers to conduct drug testing that are not based on occupations, end quote. In other words, they want the states to have the right to steal unemployment insurance from any worker they choose on the basis of a failed piss test. Now, you and I know that piss tests discriminate against cannabis consumers, since cannabis metabolites are detectable in periods measured in days and weeks, while hard drug metabolite detection windows are measured in hours, that in turn incentivizes the use of synthetic cannabinoids of dubious safety, hard drugs that dissipate rapidly, or alcohol that isn't tested for. Thus, in addition to being an increased risk to the public health, Piss testing for unemployment insurance is simply an extrajudicial way to punish cannabis consumers. Now, the reasoning offered by these proponents of this legalized theft is pretty flimsy. House Majority Leader Kevin McCarthy writes, quote, People who are abusing drugs may fail job-related drug tests, meaning they are not truly available for employment, end quote. But the person who's applying to receive his unemployment insurance was someone who was employed. Presumably, if their employer piss tests, they passed that test already. If they're seeking a job that piss tests, why add another one? If the job they're seeking doesn't require a piss test, why require an unemployment piss test at all? Why do we need an un unemployment piss test to determine whether someone can pass an employment piss test? Oh, yeah. Because without it, we might be subsidizing some unemployed person's drug use, they think. It's a moral issue. Representative McCarthy states, quote, States should have the option of disallowing them for unemployment benefits and ending public support for their self-destructive habits, end quote. So his motivation is to stop people who are actively using drugs from collecting their own unemployment insurance. But according to the National Employment Law Project, quote, 20 states explicitly deny benefits for any job loss connected to drug use or a failed drug test, end quote. And 
The rest of the states, the other 30, implicitly consider drug-related firings as disqualifying conduct for unemployment insurance. And meanwhile, the silence is deafening if you're listening for calls to deny unemployment insurance to beer drinkers. Apparently, we taxpayers can subsidize that self-destructive habit. And again, unemployment insurance isn't a subsidy. It's insurance that you paid into. Representative McCarthy also believes that this expansion of piss testing for unemployment would save taxpayers money, arguing that, quote, after implementing drug testing, Utah saved more than $350,000 in the first year alone as drug users were barred from receiving benefit payments from taxpayers, end quote. Uh, yes, but a closer reading of that Utah case shows that it was testing for welfare benefits, not unemployment, and that Utah spent $30,000 and got back just 12 positive piss tests as a result. So where did they get the claim of $350,000 savings? Well, that was based on not providing welfare benefits to 250 applicants who didn't complete the screening process and had not been piss tested with the assumption that they all must have been on drugs and were scared off by the piss test they couldn't pass. Now, ignore for the moment that we're talking about a U.S. congressman celebrating 250 impoverished Utahns not receiving the cash assistance they desperately needed. If Representative McCarthy's going to count 250 people who didn't finish applying for welfare as savings, why not count a thousand of them who didn't apply at all? Or hell, why not make it 10,000? Since we have no way to prove how many people don't do something and why they didn't do it. I mean, that would be more impressive than taking that 350,000 savings and dividing by 250 and then taking that result and multiplying by 12 and then discovering through the calculation that Utah spent $30,000 in piss tests to save $16,800 in welfare. And this is not an outlier, folks. This is the norm in drug testing for welfare. As Think Progress noted, quote, the 10 states that now have these programs in place spent another $850,000 on the testing regimes in 2015 to uncover just 321 positive tests. And in more than one state, no positive tests at all. The National Employment Law Project adds that those 321 positives came at, quote, a cost of nearly $2,650 per positive test. Furthermore, poor people applying for welfare, quote, yield positive results at rates substantially below the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention's estimate of an 8.5% drug use rate in the general population, end quote, writes Nelp. In other words, Representative McCarthy and other unemployment piss test promoters have a solution in search of a problem. <clears throat> now, that's not to say that there aren't any welfare or unemployment applicants who have serious drug addiction problems. That would be not pot, of course. But Representative McCarthy demonstrates a complete ignorance of how addiction works by claiming that, quote, limiting benefits for drug users helps the drug user most. While states and welfare programs can't make people's decisions for them, 
giving unemployment insurance only to those who stay clean provides a great incentive for people to stop using drugs, end quote. People with addiction issues don't make rational decisions based on great incentives. What do you suppose are the next acts of the person addicted to heroin who is jobless and lacking unemployment insurance following eviction for not paying rent, hungry and homeless and racked by all-consuming heroin withdrawals that demand she scores some more money to buy some more heroin? As for the uh, pot smoker popped for the uh, positive piss test, what good do we accomplish by denying her unemployment insurance? Assuming that's the approach that makes her quit smoking pot, it's still going to take her another couple of weeks before she can even apply for jobs that drug test. It's not as if she got 30 days notice that she'd be laid off and could stop smoking pot in advance of an unemployment piss test. And really, the most frustrating aspect of this unemployment piss testing issue to me is the employed workers, even cannabis consumers, asking, quote, well, if I have to take a piss test for my paycheck, then why shouldn't you have to take a piss test for your unemployment check? The solution to your oppression is not to expand it to those weaker than you. The question you should be asking is why do I have to take a piss test for my paycheck? You're an American with a Fourth Amendment right that prevents the government from conducting unlawful searches of your body. Now, your employer gets away with this because our courts have decided that being an employed worker is a voluntary contract between you and your employer, as if being employed is a choice that's voluntary. You have no right to be employed under the Constitution, and the government isn't requiring a search. Your employer is. This is why piss testing isn't allowed for non-safety-related government jobs. Piss testing isn't allowed for students unless they're involved in extracurricular activities or driving to school. And why piss testing for welfare has to start with a screening test that identifies applicants at risk for drug use. Because those are all examples of the government trying to intrude on your Fourth Amendment rights. As the National Employment Law Project perfectly summarizes, quote, neither being unemployed nor applying for unemployment insurance is by itself a legally sufficient reason under the Constitution to subject a citizen to government-operated drug testing. Call your representative today. Tell them you oppose all expansion of drug testing in America, especially to legalize the theft of our hard-earned unemployment insurance. That's all the time we got for Hour 1. Stay tuned for Hour 2. We're going to tell you about the GOP in Montana and how they're repressing the vote to forestall legalization, among other things. For everyone here at Delta 9 Studios, I'm Radical Russ. Thanks for joining us. And until next time, take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a scene, you're burning, you're growing, you're giant, you're rolling, you're smoking. You take a scene, you're burning, you're growing, you're giant, you're rolling, you're smoking.